Hi, I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today, I want to build on the theme of our last episode, where we were talking about keys to building a powerful prayer life. And this week, I want to look at removing barriers that stand in our way for effective and powerful praying. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that right now through March 8th, you can enter our scholarship giveaway for Ellerslie's 2021 Discipleship Training Program. So if you are hungry for a season to come away with Jesus, we are giving away 10 full-ride scholarships to our week-long and our five-week programs in 2021. You can go to ellerslie.com to enter the giveaway. We would love to see you in Colorado this year and invest into your spiritual life. So let's dive into removing barriers to effective praying. I know as I've looked at my own life and looked at seasons when I've really been thriving in my prayer life, it's usually because I have been very purposeful about removing anything and everything that would stand in the way from my relationship with Jesus Christ really being in a healthy and thriving place. A lot of times we think about intimacy with Christ as something that kind of comes and goes, goes up and down depending on our life circumstances and our moods and our emotions, but actually it is possible, in fact it is God. God's desire to have a constancy and a consistency in our relationship with him. Scripture says that we are never to be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord, which means a constant spiritual passion, a constant spiritual fervor. Now, this is not something we can do in our own strength, try to just drum up the emotions of spiritual passion. We have to be purposeful about culting a soul level spiritual passion, no matter what our emotions are saying. And so looking at the barriers, the things that stand in our way from really connecting with the creator of the universe on a daily basis is so important to maintaining spiritual passion and building a consistently thriving prayer life. Barrier number one for me, I know, has been when I've had a divided heart, when I don't come into the presence of God with a truly singular focus, where my gaze is kind of pulled in all directions. When my heart is divided, I really cannot have a powerful and effective prayer time. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that is such a key scripture because we will find him only when we search for him with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. We can't come to Jesus with half of our heart and then complain that he seems distant and far away. We have to come to him with a completely singular focus. It says in Psalm 86, 11, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, a unified heart, a fixation on one singular point, and that is Jesus Christ. In Psalm 1611, it says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so often we don't put that scripture into practice in our lives. In his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And have that attitude that there's nowhere else we would rather be than in the presence of our king. And that is something that if you don't really have that desire or that perspective on prayer, ask God to cultivate that within you. Because when you truly come into the presence of God and you connect with the king, of all kings at a soul level, it becomes something that you deeply desire, something that deeply satisfies and fulfills you. So what does an undivided heart look like towards prayer? 
In our prayer life, we have this tendency to be mentally or physically distracted when we come into God's presence. And I know for me, a lot of times it's a list of everything that I need to get done that day or something I didn't get done the day before. And so usually it's really helpful for me to write all of that down and put it aside. Sort of like, okay, here's the capture of it. It's not going to distract distract me during this prayer time. I'm putting it off to the side. And right now I'm going to turn my focus completely and totally on Jesus Christ. Also, as we talked about in the last episode, it's it's really crucial to find a quiet place, a place where you don't have dings and and all the technology, the, the beeps and the dings and the buzzes just vying for your attention at all times and to quiet your mind from all those things that just want to race through your mind. And if it's worry and care and stress, bring that into your prayer time, but not in a way where it's distracting you, in a way where you identify the things that are bothering you and stressing you out and lay those things actively at the feet of Jesus. So instead of worrying about those things, pray about those things. Looking for those ways to come into his presence with a quiet, undivided heart and mind and turning off the noise as much as we possibly can. Now, it could be that you're in a season of life where you have a lot of young children and it may not be possible to go into a place where you'll be totally and completely undistracted, but as much as as possible to remove the unnecessary distractions that pull our focus away from Jesus Christ. Another way that we have a divided heart oftentimes is that our affections can be divided between spiritual things and worldly things. And I've mentioned in previous episodes that Eric and I walked through a season of really understanding what it meant to have an undivided heart. And we went through kind of like a personal revival season a few years into our ministry where God led us through a time of showing us how our heart had been divided from him. Even though we were in full-time ministry, even though we were speaking powerful messages that were changing lives, behind the scenes, oftentimes our hearts were divided. After a, a long time, a busy weekend or a busy week of pouring out in ministry, I would so often turn to things that were trivial and did not have uh, eternal focus or eternal value to try to refuel my soul. And I let a lot of things into my life that really had no business being in my life under the banner of, well, I just need this here so that I can relax and, and unwind. And God began to show me that in his presence is where I would really find the fulfillment that I was seeking. And so for Eric and I, God had to put his finger on a lot of things that we had allowed in, like pop culture addictions, like having that obsession, that addiction to having to be entertained by pop culture things or meditating on things that were not honoring to God. There's that scripture that says, turn my eyes away from worthless things. And so often under the banner of like entertainment or, you know, this is just harmless fun, we were not turning our eyes away from worthless things. We were meditating on those things and allowing those things to be a key part of our life every week. Things like self-pity and complaining about circumstances in our life. God pointed to those things and said, you cannot have an undivided heart towards me when you're so consumed with your gripes and your complaints and feeling bad about your circumstances and wishing your circumstances was, would change. Turn your gaze towards me. Rejoice in all things. And that's how you find an undivided heart towards me. Even things like unforgiveness. God had to point certain things out. You know, I had felt like, oh, I, I've forgiven everybody in my past that I need to forgive. And God began to deepen that understanding. Understanding that I needed to go a little deeper with my forgiveness towards certain people. 
We had to have a time where God really purified us and the willingness that we had to walk through that time set the stage for powerful praying. It really did transform our prayer life. And that's something that has continued ever since. And whenever I feel dull in my prayer life, this is one of the first things I go to. Lord, do I have a divided heart? Are there things in my life that need to be uprooted and cleansed out by your blood, by your grace, so that I can have more of an undivided heart towards you? If you desire an undivided heart toward Christ and deeper intimacy with him, I really encourage you to prayerfully consider any areas of your life that might have become maybe an unhealthy addiction for you. It could be something like music or movies or social media or just surfing the internet or certain TV shows, sports, certain like reading materials, novels, magazines, things like that that you have become just addicted to and things that you maybe turn to for your source of joy and fulfillment rather than turning to Jesus Christ. Now, it does doesn't mean that every time you watch a movie or read a novel, it's bad, but what are you turning to for your ultimate source of fulfillment and joy? And are you allowing worldly messages into your life that are dividing your heart from Christ just based on the need to unwind or this excuse of entertainment? Ask God to show you what activities might need to be removed from your life and what activities might need to be put in their proper place. For, so for example, choosing to watch an edifying movie every once in a while rather than binge watching movies and shows multiple nights a week. Ask God for the grace to change your habits in order to become consecrated to him in this area of your life. Make these decisions out of love for him, not legalism, not obligation, not a self-righteous statement toward other Christians in your life who might not share your same standards. Remember, this life is but a breath, as it says in Psalm 39.5. So in light of eternity, what is going to matter more, whether you saw all the latest Hollywood shows or whether you kept your eyes fixed upon the unmatched glory and loveliness and majesty of Jesus Christ. Once you exchange the counterfeits of this world for what is real and lasting and eternal, you will experientially realize that in his presence is the fullness of joy. Another barrier to effective and powerful prayer is unconfessed sin. We've kind of touched on this so far in this episode, but I want to take it a little bit deeper because what we've been talking about so far is more distractions or little compromises that we allow in that just pull our gaze away from Christ. But if we have willful, habitual, unconfessed sin that we are allowing to remain in our life, it is it is going to put a barrier in between our relation, us and our relationship with Christ. It says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So if there seems to be a hindrance to your prayers, here are some questions to ask. Are you allowing habitual sin to remain in your life? Something you know is there, you know is dishonoring to God, but you have no intention of renouncing it because you secretly love that sin. Do you have unconfessed sin in your soul? Something maybe you've done in your past, but you've actually never made it right with God, or you've never made it right with the person that you wronged. Or maybe you're avoiding obedience, something you know God is telling you to do but you are choosing purposely not to do it. James 4.17 says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so if there is something God is prompting you to do and you're choosing not to do it, it is actually, the Bible says, a sin. Like Jonah, who knew he was supposed to take truth to the people of Nineveh, but specifically, deliberately went the opposite direction. So ask God to show you, am I am I avoiding obedience? Do I have unconfessed sin in my soul? Or am I allowing habitual sin to remain in my life? Maybe it's unforgiveness, where you know you need to forgive someone, but secretly you want to hold that bitterness against them. But again, as it says in Matthew 6.15, if you do not forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your 
transgression. So this is a very serious issue in our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you have allowed habitual sin to remain in your life or you have never truly repented of past sins, then it's likely that the enemy has gained some territory in your inner life. If you have let sin control you, then the enemy has gained that legal right to harass you, wreaking havoc in your spiritual life, plaguing you with doubt and fear and anger and guilt. When you repent of past sins and allow Christ to wash you clean, it's so critical to take back that territory that you have previously given to the enemy. So let God reveal to you any area in which maybe Satan has got a hold, a foothold or a stronghold in your life. Once you repent and you are washed clean and you are made new in that area, tell him that he must leave and spiritually take back that ground that he has claim to because he no longer has claim to it once it's covered by the blood of Jesus. And then if the enemy tries to come back and harass you with guilt or shame or remorse or temptation back to those old patterns, you can simply remind the enemy that this territory now belongs to God and stand firmly upon promises like greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Don't allow the enemy to push you around or weigh you down with past sins that have already been covered by the blood of Jesus. When you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you have the power to resist him. And when you do, the Bible says he must flee. That's in James 4, 7. So we've talked about distractions and we've talked about unconfessed sin. Another barrier to effective prayer is shame and guilt. Even after you've repented, the enemy will often try to convince you that you aren't really forgiven, that you have a barrier in your relationship with Christ that isn't really there. I remember when I first began to radically give my life to Christ, I did not actually feel forgiven for some of the things that I had done in my past, even though I had confessed and repented from those things. And I remember praying, God, I want to feel forgiven. I need to be set free from this shame that I am constantly lugging around with me. And I asked God to make his forgiveness real to me. And I remember very clearly God speaking to my heart, I have forgiven. Now you need to receive my forgiveness. I realized that I had repented of my sins, but I had actually never truly received his forgiveness. I had actually been pushing away God's promise of forgiveness because I told myself I wasn't really qualified for it. Somehow, maybe God didn't really want to forgive me. He didn't really want to set me free from my past. And in a strange way, I almost believed it was more spiritual to live in guilt over my past sins rather than to agree with God that my sins were removed from me as far away as the East is from the West. And I remember coming to this conclusion that I didn't need to wait until I felt forgiven, but I needed to get in step with God's word and agree with his word. So instead of pushing away the forgiveness that he offered, I needed to accept and receive it. He was asking me to reckon his forgiveness true in my life, no matter what my emotions, what my feelings were trying to tell me. So I made a purposeful decision in that season of my life to say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I agree with your word. I have repented of those things. They are now covered by your blood and you have removed them from me as far away as the east is from the west. You have washed me clean whiter than snow, no matter what my emotions tell me. That is going to be my reality from this day forward. And that was such a life-changing prayer. It's not that I was I wasn't tempted to wallow in regret or guilt or shame after that, but I now had a better response because instead of letting those emotions weigh me down and define my thoughts and put a barrier in between myself and my relationship with Christ, I just stood on the reality that God no longer saw those sins when he looked at me. They'd been cast into the depths of the sea, as it says in scripture. And as Corey Ten Boom once said, God 
casts our sin away from us. He casts it into the depths of the sea. And then he posts a sign on the on the shore right by the sea that says no fishing allowed, which means basically it's not more spiritual to dredge up those past sins and dwell upon them and revisit them. It's actually more honoring to God to receive his forgiveness. So it might take a while, if this is something that you need to walk through the first time, it might take a while for you to say no to those feelings of guilt and yes to the reality of God's forgiveness. But as you continue to stand upon that principle that you have repented, you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, and now you are forgiven and agreeing with that, no matter what your emotions say, as you continue to stand upon that reality, that will become your reality. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And the term free indeed literally means truly, literally no longer a slave. The incredible thing about God's forgiveness through Christ is that it is not partial. It's complete and absolute and final. Our finite minds may not be able to grasp the reality of his overwhelming love, mercy, and forgiveness, but God's word makes it clear that those gifts are freely offered to all who will receive them. It's not based on our own worthiness. It's based on the power and the triumph of the cross. So let's not allow the enemy to bog us down with sins that have already been covered by the blood of Jesus. If you ever have that feeling like, well, I know God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself, just remember this. God is not asking us to forgive ourselves. He is the forgiver. We are the receivers of his forgiveness. Our job isn't to somehow let ourselves off the hook for past sins. Our job is to believe what he says. It sounds so simple, and this is where many of us get so tripped up, trying to punish ourselves for past sins and not recognizing the fact that Christ already bore our punishment on the cross. And when we repent and turn, he forgives us and he sets us free from the past and not just partially free, but free indeed. If you have been weighed down with regret and guilt over past sins and yet you have repented and you've asked to be made new, God wants to show you that your prison door is unlocked. You don't need to stay in that prison anymore. All you need to do is rise up, push against those iron doors and discover that they swing wide open because you've been set free by his blood. Now it's time to walk in that reality. As it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So don't look to your own thoughts, your own mind to decide whether you're forgiven or not, but to the reality of scripture. One of the best ways to start agreeing with God that your past sins are truly forgiven is to memorize some key scriptures that focus on forgiveness and meditate on them often, especially when you're tempted to give in to guilt and shame and doubt. And oftentimes that temptation comes right in the middle of our prayer time. So this is why it is so important to remove that barrier so that if the enemy tries to hit you with that feeling of guilt, God's not listening to you, he doesn't want to hear what you have to say, whatever the enemy might try to hit you with, you can simply have those scriptures ready and say, this is what God says about me, that I am forgiven, that he has removed my sins as far away as the east is from the west, and you cannot hold that sin over me. And it's not going to come between me and my relationship with Jesus Christ. So we've talked about removing distractions. We've talked about removing unconfessed sin, and we've talked about fully receiving his forgiveness and walking in that reality so that we're not bogged down by guilt and shame and the enemy's take on God's relationship or his love for us. We need to look at scripture to define our reality of how God sees us. Because if we do not, then it is going to cause a barrier in our prayer life.
Here's some final thoughts that I'd like to share with you. The most difficult part about building a powerful prayer life is overcoming excuses and just getting started. Once you learn how to make prayer a central part of your life, nobody is going to have to twist your arm or try to convince you that prayer is important. It's going to be just as crucial to your daily life as eating and sleeping. If you feel a desire for a more vibrant prayer life, let me encourage you to read some powerful books on prayer. Some of my favorites are Ian Bounds' Complete Works on Prayer, John Praying Hyde, his biography, Leonard Ravenhill has a couple of great books, Revival Praying and Why Revival Tarries, and then we have a book called Wrestling Prayer. All of these would be a great starting point to catch a vision for powerful praying. Remember, prayer is answering a divine invitation. The God of the universe wants to have a daily appointment with us, and he invites us to come boldly to his throne of grace. Why would anything else be more important than that? I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. For more on powerful praying and on building a Christ-centered life, I encourage you to go to setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there on building your life around Jesus Christ. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-focused week.